Hello and welcome to Out of Office. My name is Johnny Caldor and this is a podcast where I get to take walks with interesting people in media and find out what makes them tick. This is episode 14, which I recorded with Carl Wells as we walked along the West Side Highway in Manhattan up towards Chelsea Piers. Carl and I were colleagues many years ago at News UK before he headed over to New York to work at the Wall Street Journal. He spent a number of years there heading up subscriptions before joining the information a couple of years ago as their chief commercial officer. And he's now just a couple of weeks away from joining the Washington Post as chief growth officer. So he's certainly doing something right. Um, We spoke about his time both uh, at the journal and at the information, um, subscription strategies in general, and what he thinks about 2024 and what it's going to bring to news media. It's definitely worth a listen if you're focusing on reader revenue right now. He's got an awful lot of information to share, so I definitely recommend you continuing. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, here we are. Hi, Carl. Hi, Johnny. <laughs> so, my goodness me, it's cold. It is. It's Welcome really to uh, winter in New York. Yeah, it's lovely though. It's an absolutely For- gorgeous day. Where are we? So, we are in downtown Manhattan, we are. Uh, which is home to, uh, for me and my, my family, and it has been for the last six years. Uh-huh. Uh, and we are doing what the, the pier walks. Um, so, there's lo- lots of piers um, going north, and we're going to treat ourselves to uh, some freezing temperatures and talk about media stuff, I guess. That's exactly what we're going to do. And what's lovely about this is this is our old running route. It is, when, when we were a lot fitter and a lot thinner. Well, speak for yourself, mate. <laughs> but also, anyway, so I thought we could start with the information. We can always track back to the journal. Yep. Um, but why don't we just start with, tell me a bit about your role there, what you were doing, and let's just go from there. I'd just love to talk about, because it's such a successful product, I think a lot of people are going to want to hear about yeah, some no. of the strategies you employed. And also, I think we'll, we'll touch on that whole kind of balance of reader revenue and ad revenue, which is, you know, the, the conversation we always have. And clearly, it kind of came up in your, in your role. So, yeah, just kick us off with your role there and, and what you were up to. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with, for those that um, aren't familiar with, with the information, um, the information's been around for 10 years. In fact, it was the 10th anniversary uh, just last month um, for publication. It was um, founded by um, a wonderful individual, Jessica Lesson. Uh, she used to be a reporter at the Wall Street Journal and she, she founded the information as a subscription-first uh, newsletter business, which was kind of the origins of, of where it all started. Um, yeah. and, and really, it's, a, it's reporting into a, a deep, deep verticals. Um, so deep verticals that consist of... Um, coverage areas like the creator economy um it goes deep into uh, vc vc and investing world um Uh private equity um is is uh is part of that um and more recently uh ai um it's a 500 dollar a year uh subscription yes um and uh they launched um the information pro last year a thousand dollars so it's a chunky price point but it's 
is journalism uh, worth worth paying for for sure? Um, I should say my my tenure there ended officially at the end of last year, so yeah. um, I'm kind of talking <laughs> through this as a as an ex-employee of the information now. Yeah. Um, but um, but it was a wonderful 18 months uh, there um, working with, with Jessica and the team. Um, so that's that, that's kind of the, the background. Yeah. Uh, in terms of in terms of my role, um, I was the chief commercial officer. So um, I had the pleasure and privilege of, of overseeing all the different ways that um, the information made money. Uh-huh. Um, subscriptions. You know, it was born a subscription first company, and it and it still is in in many um, respects. But it, it has diversified um, kind of the revenue lines um, since since its birth, and um, so it's subscriptions, um, the corporate or enterprise um, revenue, which is in the form of both licensing um, and also um, kind of more traditional selling of seats um, to enterprises. Yeah. Um, there's also a thriving events business uh, and and an advertising business. So they, it's, we 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 called that brand partnerships because it's very much more a kind of a high touch um, uh, service as opposed to selling kind of but, buttons and, and banners. Um, yeah. So they're the they're the main um, the main revenue revenue lines. And as I said, within within the B two C world, within the um, subscription world, there's kind of two two layers of proposition um there's the kind of regular subscription and then also the information pro yeah and really the information pro is a is a data product um and really it was born out of what they were already doing they you know they this was part of the reporter's job they're collecting um data a good example would be um uh, in the cloud space they were collecting data on um who which companies um were were um, being supplied by um, which cloud vendor, and they were creating a database of who who works with whom, okay. and that also then evolved into AI. And um, you know, AI is such a, I guess, a new beat for for some, um, not for the information, but um, the the reporting um, on the AI beat, you know, kind of started um, getting really rich textured data around companies that. Um, were you know kind of pre-IPO, some of them even at seed round, um, a bit like PitchBot book, but um, a I guess a more accessible price point, um, and and yeah, that product um, was a was something you know born out of born out of their reporting. Um, we kind of productized it into into a into a data product that sat alongside the org chart product, which I think the information has become yes. well known for, yeah, um, yeah. which is a you know a great tool. You know, and it's a great, great tool for both um, selling to individuals, but also selling to corporations. Um, you know, whether that be sales teams or or the like, um, who want access to that sort of proprietary information. And just uh, on that, actually, I mean, how do you go about building an org chart from from the outside? Yeah, again, it's um, it comes from um, great reporting and sourcing. Um, so you know, the the information newsroom is very much um built on um beats being assigned to specific companies uh-huh. and i suppose when you're that deep into you know reporting on a specific company then again through the natural process of reporting and sourcing you're you're you're, you're getting that information anyway okay um are and they then, giving it freely or is some of it subterfuge um a bit of both i think <laughs> I, I, I i wouldn't i i've i i 
you know, I was obviously on the commercial side, so, yeah, so yeah. The, the how they made the, <laughs> the sausage, so to speak, was, was, well, I was less privy to. Um, but, but it was certainly a popular, a popular product, um, for, as I said, for enterprise and direct-to-consumer. Yeah. yeah. And um, so like you said, you were there 18 months ago. Sorry, you, you, you started 18 months ago. Mm. What, what do you think you brought to the game? What, what, what changes did you uh, put in place? Uh, so I, I guess really it was kind of doubling down on the revenue diversification. Uh-huh. Um, so, you, you know, th- there wasn't really a, a premium subscription tier of note. And so the launch of the Information Pro really came from an insight that was um, born out of, of, of the existing subscriber base, which is that, you know, you don't just read the information you love the information and and you know that's true of a lot of publications right there's always a cohort of super users or power users that can't get enough and i think one of one of my um you know kind of principles i suppose that uh, that has kind of evolved over time is that good subscription businesses should always give um, their subscriber base the opportunity to spend more money so did what you and Susie and the gang at the journal did that have a, did that have any influence on on this sort of decision because there was you had that sort of product and you were the journal this this was the CIO council there was the whole kind of more for more less for less strategy did that kind of play into this um to, to some extent i think i think it to some extent i took some learnings from um the journal into into the information and yeah, the, the journal had and still has um, the Wall Street Journal Pro right. that, that kind of sat and, and sits with specific verticals like central banking, sustainability, um, to, to, to name um, just a few. Cybersecurity was was another. Um, I, I think that you know hindsight's a, a, a great thing, and, and I kind of used it at the information, which is that um, I think if you're creating a, a premium subscription tier, you really need to find differentiation. Um, from the yeah you know, the regular subscription tier, and yeah. um, I think that if if you're just recreating, you know, more content, more articles, and saying that well this is now premium, yeah, yeah. I think from the consumer perspective it's kind of hard to say well why is this <laughs> something you're charging me double for? Yeah, because the Wall Street Journal you know, reports on this anyway, um, and and so I, I think that leaning into a, a data product just adds i guess further differentiation from the the regular you know the regular journalism um, and regular articles and and so that's would be the i guess the main the main difference um b- between the two okay. and I, I think that the, the second major difference actually was that pro was was very much a product that was um that was kind of sold to enterprises um or to, um, or to specific audience verticals. It wasn't really something that was integrated into the you know, three million base of consumers that were there. And so upsell was never really, really a big thing. Yeah. Um, I think also structurally, the two teams sat very separately. And so, uh, you know, upselling wasn't really a, a big part of the revenue generation. Whereas the, the complete opposite was um, you know, kind of found in my time at the information where um, you know the really it was a proposition built for the existing base to spend more money right um, and and obviously that's a great great financially for a company because you're not spending a huge amount on marketing to attract you know new subscribers you're you're really using your own and operated 
um, to convince people to, to trade up. And, you know, there's a lot of tactics that, that, that you can deploy within that where I always you know, kind of use this phrase of how do you get more people to bump into the thing that you want them to get FOMO about? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can happen organically on their you know, path through the, through the digital product. So <clears throat> I think we often come back to the sense that the, the, the sorts of brands that do most well as subscription products and always have, I don't, I don't want to say have always found it easy, but easier would be, you know, the journal, the FT, something like the information. And I think there are two things that people always kind of discuss around that. One of which is, it's predominantly a corporate audience, so it's an easy sell because people are going to pay for it. And secondly, that sort of product and that sort of content lends itself well to a subscription product. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, number one, is that still the case? And number two, does that mean that these sorts of models are only really going to work really well for these sorts of products? Or do you see, for example, a consumer magazine company being able to pick up these same sorts of um, techniques that you're using here? Well, I think the, the principles remain the same, right? Which is that, um, you know, good subscription businesses create content worth paying for, yeah. right? And that's the starting point. I think that you're, you know, you're always, I think companies that, or publishers that are um, trying to manage both advertising and subscription revenue and affiliate revenue and commerce revenue, which is probably more akin to the kind of magazine world, yeah. is that, you know, if you're, if you're being, if you're you know, casting a harsh lens on some of the content you would say that it's not always content worth paying for right nice. it's, exactly. con- it's it's a means to a, a different way of 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 monetization yeah and i think that that becomes challenging then to 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 to, to, to kind of have a thriving subscription business because ultimately the the reason for for being from a subscription perspective is either content or information, right? And so if, if content's commoditized and it's not worth paying for, then one of the fundamentals of a successful subscription business is therefore you know, kind of fallen at the first um, at the first hurdle. Um, but that said, you know, one of the similarities that I would say, if you, if you kind of draw the comparison between, I don't know, say magazines and, and news, is that um, magazines have um, very deep... Um, uh, almost deep enthusiasts for the specific um, topic that the magazine's covering, right? Whether yeah. that's, you know, motoring, fishing at the kind of more niche end or the more accessible end, the Cosmos, you know, Elle's, Harper's Bazaars of, 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 of the world. And, and I think that, you know, maybe subscription models, when you're thinking kind of in a, with a magazine lens, might lend themselves maybe more toward utility than necessarily just more information yeah. right? um, yeah. and I think that maybe could be a, a distinguishing a distinguishing factor in fact um, after a coffee with you I'm now a, a men's health uh, subscriber good man um, yeah and because <laughs> I'm you know I'm, whilst I don't run with you anymore so, you know I do I do still try and keep the pounds off and um, you know, I think that men's health has a great, uh, you know, ut- utility to offer yeah. that goes beyond me, you know, reading uh, a 250-word article, you know. Yeah, I did, funnily enough, I was just about to bring up men's health because, I mean, I've been going on and on about it all year because that's exactly what we've been trying to do with Katie and with the gang at Hearst, which is 
take a portfolio of magazine products, some of which lend themselves very well to utility, some mm-hmm. kind of less so, but turn them into membership and subscription propositions by by that mix of content and utility. And actually, Toby, who who was up until recently uh, the editor of Men's Health, you know, that's exactly what he was going for, which is that in his mind, I think there are three things going on. There's there's the SEO content, which he would say is of, you know, let's say lower quality, Mm -hmm. uh, but but it drives traffic. Uh, then there's the magazine content, which is the kind of a higher quality content, which, you know, has real value and, and, and people will pay for it. And then there's a degree of utility, which it's never going to, you know, they're never going to provide the same sort of utility as Nike Plus or some sort of, you know, like a completely dedicated training app. But when you take the content and you mix it with the utility, actually, yep. then you've got something really quite special. So we just launched that a few weeks ago, actually, this definitely more work to do but it's the it's the beginning of something i think quite exciting and you know the question now is what do we do with the rest of the portfolio which of those brands lend themselves to that mix of content and utility and therefore you know we can make them really really sing that's interesting because i think there's a there's a there's a secondary point as well um we kind of draw this comparison where i think it's almost advantage advantage magazines which is that you're um there's Magazines often are, as I said, formed around a passion point, right? In, in yeah. what we're talking about here is, you know, men's men's health and fitness. It's a very distinguishable identity that allows you to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that interest vertical and to, to, to a defined audience of enthusiasts. I think that the one of the hard things I think publishers have found over the years is um, really nailing down their identity because they are often all things to all people um, and there's there are enthusiasts you know within 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 the readership base but um, it, you know there's as, as as someone that's run kind of big marketing teams who strive to create marketing that people see themselves in it, it's quite hard sometimes just to, to kind of ne- you know nail down an identity in a pithy line um, yeah. when news really means you know even news and opinion right is effectively two different brands yes. two different points of view um whereas i kind of like when i look at the magazine world i kind of like it from a marketing perspective because it is very you can be very definitive and defined about who you are and what you and what you offer which, yeah. I, which I think news brands can yeah struggle um str- struggle with it's, it's a much harder harder equation how would you define the, the tone of voice of the information? And is, is it pretty straightforward fact delivery, or is there if, is there a kind of decent amount of opinion thrown in? I, I, I think um, it is very it's, it's very you know, double source factual. Um, it's, it's information that that people take and use to make big decisions, and, and therefore yeah. it has to be journalism that people trust um, because they're making those big decisions off the back of of what they write. Um, but I think that there's also a, a you know a bit of startup um, you know in the company too, which is you know the challenger, the kind of challenger brand man, brand mentality that yeah. gives it license to be you know a bit more jovial um, in in the in its tone of voice. Um, yeah. It's certainly not dry um, in, in in that, and, and it's for a marketeer that's kind of fun, you know, a fun place to to work from is your you know, kind of defining identity and, and turning that into marketing communications. 
So I'd love to talk about the journey that you went on, which I suspect a lot of new media companies are, are, are doing as well, which is a business that started entirely as a newsletter. Can you talk about the evolution of that? So how do you get from a newsletter to, you know, a re reader revenue product and then adding on all of these other stuff? And also kind of at a more kind of just a, I guess at a technical level, things like a website, what purpose does it serve? Is it just a shop front and a way to subscribe or is that also a means of, of delivery? So yeah, let's start at the newsletter and then talk us through the journey from that to where it is now. Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know when you think about the, you know, effectively what a, what a newsletter tends to do, right? It tends to focus on a particular thing, um, or, or or set of things, right? Um, so in the information's case, a good example would be um, the Creator Economy newsletter. Uh -huh. um, it, for, for folks that are wanting to invest in the creator economy as investors, for platforms that um, need creators to you know provide you know content for their. Um, for their for their platforms and then creators themselves that you know are getting um, paid for, for 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 being creators and and creating entertainment and so you know that's a that's a vertical that's a, that's a newsletter um, then you start thinking about well again, this isn't unique to information this is um, true of a lot of media businesses which is okay how do I go how do I how do I diversify revenue um, mm -hmm. in in that way and. You know, I think that events um, events are a good business to be in. Um, you know, when you've when you've built an audience, I, I think it's a hard. I think events are a hard business to be to start from scratch. But I think when you've got a loyal following through through, a, in this case, a newsletter, your newsletter then almost becomes a, a vehicle of selling. You know, the kind of next um, step in the commitment ladder uh -huh. toward um, toward that. And so, events were born out of. Um, out really out of, of, of having a loyal following um, from a, from a newsletter. So hang on. So before you go on, how do they even find out about the newsletter in the first place? And how do they sign up? And, and you know what sort of platforms are you using to get the brand out there before the newsletter has any sort of audience at all? Yeah. So um, you, you know to begin with, and I mean uh, you know I, I'm I, I wasn't I wasn't there, but um, you know from um, from from looking back at history. You know, a lot of that happens organically. Um, I, you know, soon once you've got one newsletter, you're using that newsletter to cross promote um, others. Um, I think, you know, like a lot of publishers that are trying to build audience, you know, you have to spend money to do that too, right? Um, so, you know, performance marketing <laughs> becomes a big part of, um, you know, growing. Um, Growing, uh, growing audience too. But I kind of come back to the fundamental that I said before, which is that ultimately, you know, content worth paying for, um, you know, attracts <laughs> attracts audience. And so, you know, also remember, you know, this was, you know, we're talking about a decade of time that's that's passed since launched. And, and yeah. so, you know, the whilst the the, the tap is starting to run dry now for a lot of publishers in terms of, you know, the way that social media has been a, a, a funnel of oxygen, of, of traffic, you know, into various format forms. Yeah. Um, you know, the information wouldn't have would have would have also benefited from um, from that, which is obviously a tap that's now running dry for for yeah. most, as as a lot of um, social 
um, media publishers pull away from from news. So, um, sorry to, to butt yeah. in, but but if I go to the information website right now, for example, what am I getting? Am I signing up to newsletters, or am I? Is it like any other content yeah, website? So, so, so that's the it's a two step process. Yeah. So you become a uh, a registered a registered reader, um, which gives you access to um, certain free free newsletters, um, and then the the content on the on the website is um, is paywalled, uh, and and really you know newsletters provide a, sh- a shop window of what you get more of when you become a subscriber. Right. Um, they're also a very you know, go. But that, sorry, that's interesting. Just to, I'd like to delve into that. But are, are you saying then that the product is the website, not the newsletter? But the newsletter is the thing leading pe- people to the product. Uh, well, I think I, I guess you, you could argue it, but, but both ways. I, I think that yeah. you know, there's many ways pe- people don't come in in a linear fashion, right? Um, yeah. You know, they bump into they bump into the with the various formats that that the, the information offer, and I think that's probably a you know a, a common a common thing but but both play a very distinctive role i think that newsletters um you know are a, a shop window um for non-paying subscribers yeah um and they're also for for um for subscribers they're a um they're almost like a you know a, a content page <laughs> for you know reading more um and so, so that was actually yeah so that was going to be my follow-up question mm-hmm. does I'm sorry, this is what I'm really digging in a little bit here, but do you use the newsletter, for example, do you, is, it, is it giving you a sample of the content and always trying to lead you into the site to get more, as opposed to read the newsletter, you've got everything you need and you don't gotcha. need it? Yeah, no, it's, um, all of them have a narrator, um, you know, so it's uh, curated um, and, and written rather than it being a series of links that are trying to, you know, kind of tempt you. Um, you know, it is, it is, it is the the former rather than the um, rather than the latter yeah um, that said you know like any good uh, you know article there's always you know l- links going out uh, to you know a- adjacent um adjacent topics um or allows you to go deeper in the topic or information pro you know which would would also be a a, a, a way of of kind of showcasing that through um through through the shop window yeah no that's interesting i mean the reason i keep I guess I keep drilling in on the, on the, um, the newsletter thing is we're, we're seeing a lot of new entrants right now mm. um, who've got great content, um, you know, they're building a brand, they're building an audience. And really the, the, the question we get asked a lot is how do you go on that journey from you've got a newsletter, but that's it. So you've got to build a shop front. You've got to build the audience. You've got to start building products around it. And that's what I, in my head, I'm just trying to get my head around the relationship between a website. Because in the early days, I think a website is nothing more than sign up here mm-hmm. and pay here. But at some point, as you evolve, I think the website becomes a core part of the product. And you want people to come to you rather than just the push of, of the newsletter. So that's, that's the bit I'm trying to get my head around. And then, you know, the next step building an app and then i mean certainly from our experience you only get to that stage where you have a loyal engaged audience who are you know who are going on a regular basis in order to engage with your brand and and consume content so i was just trying to understand you know in your in your ideal world maybe if we step away from the information a little bit 
you know, how would you go on that journey? Do you, do you know what? I think there's, a, there's actually a great example out there at the moment um, in Semaphore. Um, right. Yeah, Ben and Justin. Um, they've, they've unapologetically kind of launched a, 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 new, a new media business that is newsletter first and event first and website second. Right. You know, they've not... Um, the, you know, I think um, J- Justin was on the um, the DigiDay um, podcast just before Christmas. You know, talking about that exact thing. That um, you know, they the, they're they're in the inbox of of you know uh, uh, some very influential um, leaders around the world, um, and that lends itself when you've got a kind of defined audience. It lends itself um, and, and an audience following. It lends itself to um, live journalism. And, uh, and and events, which is let's face it, just another form of of doing journalism. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but is a allows for kind of revenue diversification. And I, I think from what Justin was saying, that 2024 is the um, one of the big priorities is the website and the yeah, the launch of the website, which kind of makes sense because you know in a world where you know as we touched on before, in a world when organic traffic sources from social platforms is on the decline yep. then you kind of almost got to work harder as a publisher to, to create your own audience and so I, I think that that's kind of I think like you know, sequencing at, you know is you know I, I'm going to build a newsletter which gives me first party data on my my reader um, it, it gives me um, uh, it, it gives me um, access to um, probably one of the most valuable pieces of real estate, right? I the inbox of my my consumers, um, and then and then it also allows me to build a following, and then it also then provides me a shop window to to, 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 to market other stuff and events. I think being kind of a natural adjacency to that, and then I guess the third, you know, kind of concentric circle in the revenue makeup is then is then it allows you you know to to, to sell um high cpm you know advertising you know you you, yeah. you know who your advertisers are because you're selling directly you're selling directly to them they know who they're buying because you know your audience you've got your first party data and so i think that's actually quite a compelling like what i would call you know new media <laughs> i you know the the days of the social media media companies you know the um, obviously, BuzzFeed being the, the the most kind of prominent, um, you know, demise of, of, of that kind of business model. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think new media is very much about um, you know knowing knowing your audience, and, and I think having a combination of those three revenue streams, newsletter, um, events, and, and advertising, is a pretty strong starting point. And, and actually, arguably, is the right ingredients to then become a subscription business, as opposed to you know starting as a subscription business first which is has challenges because you're basically saying i need to build an audience and a brand but no one can see it yeah yeah and, and so i think you know to your question around evolution i think if you if, if you have those first three ingredients then they lend it they lend themselves to you know a paid subscription um you know, once once the audience has been built, the brand has been established, the proposition and identity is clear, then then you know, can subscriptions can follow. But I think if I was building a media business today, I wouldn't I wouldn't start with subscriptions first. I, I think that would be something that would follow. So that means 
you either need deep pockets or a, or a pretty substantial sponsor well, as you set well, out. Well, interesting you should say that. So, you, yes, you, you'd, you know, obviously you'd need a, a, a healthy seed round um, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to pay, um, you know, for, for, for the journalists and, and, and for the, the revenue teams. But, I don't know, in my experience, you know, events are a pretty lucrative business from a margin perspective. Um, you know, they are, um, you know, event one of, of uh, might might be a lost leader but yeah. you know they soon get to profitability and very good profitability um, they're a labour of love they're difficult they're, to they're scale though to right scale. Yeah, yeah no for sure they're, they're, they're hard to scale but um, I, I think there is something in um, in that experience that advertisers put a premium on which is why they pay good money you know to be part um, to, to be part of them um, and you know yeah, newsletters, you know, are also a, a, a pretty a, a good profitable um, way of, of, of making money because again, you you own the you know the relationship with the consumer. It's all direct advertising um, at high you know at high CPM. So very uh, little tech. Very little tech, and you know to, to the point before right around you know newsletter and event first and website second. Well, you know, think about the infrastructure costs of apps and websites. They're bloody expensive. <laughs> Unless you're Unless working you with, with uh, Pumping, of which is, um, <laughs> of course, you know, the, the right way to go. So actually, I, on the ad thing, because you were talking about CPM, but we talked about sponsorship earlier, and I think I wonder if it'd be good to just dig in a little bit on, on you know, those, those two different models, i.e. model number one, kind of standard traditional display-based CPM model, mm-hmm. model number two, find a big sponsor and tell them it's a million pounds a year and then work out the details afterwards. Mm. How, easy, how easy is it to do number two? I mean, Katie was very successful doing that at Tortoise. Mm-hmm. You know, identify a big bank, go and ask them for a million quid, and that's it. It's just a much easier deal to make, isn't it? At least if you can convince them of the value. Yeah, I, I think that um, that is definitely the right... The right um, the, I think that's definitely the right model. Um, yeah, obviously, as you say, it's, it's harder to put into practice. Um, but but I think the, the the beauty of well, the way I would think about it is that you know the newsletters are like newspapers, probably one of the most habitual news formats that publishers create. Uh-huh. Um, they tend to be sent at the same day and the same time, again and again and again. And and I think that when you're pitching to an advertiser that you want to come in for a you know an extended period of time as a as a sponsor it's actually a really a really great pitch because you know you're speaking to amazon for example and you're saying you know this this b2b audience is the perfect audience not just for aws but for a multitude of you know services that amazon provide business yeah and and frequency high frequency allows for you know constant rotation of message and portfolios and 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 i think for for brands that that you know want repetition in in their their message or range or a platform to to provide range of their portfolio of offerings then newsletters become a um you know a pretty compelling source of ongoing um you know an ongoing partnership as opposed to a you know, uh, an ad that appears, you know, via programmatic yeah. on targeting an audience rather than necessarily an environment. And and so just one last point on that is that 
I think that for a time, you know, marketers lost the um, the importance of context in advertising. Yeah. Right. We all went kind of audience first. Forget about the context. I right. don't. I don't care so much. But you know, I I still am a big believer that that you sh- you know there's a reason why you play premium for context and and you know your your advertising message is always seen you know much more fondly um when it's provided in the right context yeah yeah so. no that makes sense i'm just i'm gonna well i'm not gonna stop recording but we have to take a photo of this it's absolutely brilliant we can post yeah. it on the podcast come yeah, on let's just get a selfie yeah. this is amazing okay so what what is the future hold for carl wells or at least the immediate future. What are you? What are you up to? Yeah. So, um, since I've I down tools at the information, I've set up a consulting business, ah. which uh, subscribe IQ Consulting LLC. A little plug there. Very nice. Um, and and yeah, it's um it's been good fun. I think that you know what consulting does it's it gives you a, a multitude of, of 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 problems to solve in very you know in varying degrees um, and i think what i'm you know, i've only been at it for a couple of months but you know I, I feel very um kind of stimulated by um the different problems that and opportunities that that publishers are are tackling um as we go into you know an election an election heavy year in britain and yeah and God. uh in america you know we're coming off the back of you know, high inflation, you know, you've still got to have high interest rates, you know, a terrible year really for advertising. Um, and, and and I think what, what consulting does and having multiple conversations with lots of different companies is that it gives you a really well-rounded um, perspective, I suppose, on, on some of the, um, you know, pushes and pulls that are affecting, yeah. affecting our industry. Um, and that's honestly one of the most enjoyable parts parts of it. Um, and you get to spend time with, you know, smart smart people um, in who are you know work for some of the the biggest kind of you know publishing brands in the world, which is which is fun. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, who are you work? Can you talk about who you're working with right now? No, I mean it's the, the the business. I mean, I've, I've purposely called it Subscribe IQ because it's you know it is it's subscri- it's a subscription based um consulting um practice um and and all of my you know all of my clients um are within the publishing within the publishing vertical um you know and a lot of that honestly has come from um from just having uh, a good network and you know knowing some um wonderful people in the industry over the years that you know that want to throw some work my way which is some of our old friends no doubt yeah exactly yeah yeah it's um so no it's it's good it's good fun um it's it's interesting though like one of the if if we yeah if we focus i don't know if you want to focus on the future um as we kind of go into to 24 i think one of the the common things that i'm that I'm, i'm seeing is is publishers um wrestling not you know not so much about you know how do i how do i accelerate my acquisition volumes for you know as a subscription business i think a lot of them are coming to terms with like a new normal that you know the rate of acquisition of new subscribers is is back to normal so to speak you know post um post covid and yeah and i think that kind of led to a you know a phase of we've got all these people 
you know, what do we do? We've really got to double down on engagement and retention, which, you know, have been well documented by the Imars of the world. Yeah. Um, but, but as we go into 24, I, I think one of the things you're going to see more and more is, is publishers doubling down on, on ARPU, um, average revenue per, per user. Yeah. And it, it's, been, it's been an interesting area that I've been kind of digging more and more into because I think you think about it as, a, as an industry, um, you know, collectively we have millions and millions of subscribers. And one of the most common ways that we've all driven more, more revenue out of that subscriber base is increasing ARPU through price rises, yeah. right? And, you know, the streamers are doing that now yeah. too. Um, and, the, and, and publishers have, have, have been, you know, good, good at it because it's been quite a, a common way of, of, of making money. But honestly, I think that we should, as an industry, kind of challenge ourselves a bit more on, on well, how do we make more money from, from people that are already subscri- subscribing? And I'll kind of go back to an earlier point that, in, in my experience, whenever you look at... Um, you know, segmenting your subscriber base by engagement, there is always a cohort that are, um, you know, indexed toward high, you know, high engagement, you know, brevity of readership, depth of readership, high frequency mm-hmm. of coming back, you know, the, the habitual, yep. habitual readers. And I think part of it is that if you, if you, if you said to them, you know, if I give you more, would you read more? They probably would, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, it kind of goes back to this. Um, I think we need to challenge ourselves to be more um, innovative in our product thinking. You know, how, are, how do our products, and not just product being content, but products being format and proposition, how, how do we create products that um, existing subscribers are willing, you know, are willing to to pay for to to, to drive um, up ARPU and but yeah, we, you said but you said it yourself earlier. M- more can't just be more of the same. It has to be something that feels of, of higher value if they're going to pay more. Yeah. So how do you, how do you well, create the? You got to create these products out of thin air almost. So how do you do well, that? Well, you do, but 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 I think yeah. Going back to my experience of the information, you know, the the premium product is is a data product that was a byproduct of reporting. Yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know, I think if, if newsrooms were to look at themselves in the mirror and kind of say, well, what, what information and data do we sit on that we don't use, right? Right. And it's probably, my guess is that it's probably, you know, time-bound too, right? Where, I don't know, let's use one of my favourite um, newspaper, you know, newspaper and media brands in the world, the Times of London, right? They, they, they've done rich list. Um, yeah, best places to live. Um, you know, th- these are these are kind of lists that have gone. You know, that, that go back multitude of of years. And, yeah. and and then in the kind of more contemporary space, what they've been doing. You know, um, house price tracker. You know, put in your postcode, and we'll tell you what's going on with you know house prices in your in your area. Yeah. Um, you know, th- they've also got their. You know. Post, put, put in your postcode and we'll tell you the best beach near, nearby right and and I think like there's a in that there's a data there's a data product yeah, um, yeah. because actually I do want to go I do want to go deeper into that um, and, and, and actually I do care about trends and how things might have changed over you know over over time and, and so I don't know I, I, you're right it's, it's, it's the reason it's not been done 
is because it's hard. It's hard work. But I would my my kind of exam question to, to set for ourselves, I think, is that well, what do we already sit on that, that that we've gathered from our reporting that might be relevant to be productized in a in a in, in a in a format that's distinctive and differentiated to just an article? And because I think then, you know then you will appeal to people that want that want more but but not just more more words but you know a different a, a different proposition yeah so here's a random one for you it kind of sprung to mind as you were talking about nearest speech and, and so on and so on think about a brand like time out mm-hmm. and the you know the history they have in delivering data about very, very specific stuff in, in, in given cities. Like, what would you, if you were running Time Out today, what would you, what would you do with that business? I mean, ignoring the, the marketplaces and, and events, but just purely as a media company, what would you do with that? I think um, I'd, I'd start with thinking about um, where do I have a right, where do I have a right to play? Um, you know, ultimately, I'm a, I'm a, First and foremost, I'm a guide, um, but I'm also um, a an expert, and I'm an ex- expert on local. Exactly. And you know, as we know, local has been, you know, um, been been hugely disrupted um, by, you know, the kind of tech the tech giants. And so, I think there is something about um, you know being your trusted local advisor that. That the, maybe the yellow pages <laughs> were Google became, um, but you know, Time Out. Well, could... Time Out was though, right? That's well, the thing in London. I mean, every gig, every restaurant, every bar. Yeah, but but I don't, in, in in some respects, is there a, is there room for a renaissance? You know, with with that, you know, in the same way that I don't know LPs, <laughs> you know, sales are going up. You know, is is, is digitization, you know, kind of. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that. Um, it's important, I guess, going back to big picture principles, it's important not to lose, you know, whatever, whatever time out were to do, don't lose the identity that of, of what made you what you are, but how can, how, how can you evolve, um, how can you evolve that? Like, so if I was on the revenue team, I would be knocking on the door of Axios, local, and saying, okay, do you want to, how do you license my content um, in the cities that you are, um, that you're present in? Um, in order to provide, you know, more utility um, and, and listings for, um, for for underserved communities, you know, within the the, the areas of America that, that you're in, and so, you know, I think that the idea of of being known for something, and 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 therefore that thing has to be something you attract people to. I, I don't know. I, I think that that thinking should evolve, and and they should think more about you know how do I, how do I insert into relevant places where I'm complementing, you know maybe a, a new service that's already that's that's already sprung up. Oh, that's um, interesting. And you've got the physical space too. I mean, just down the road from you in um, over in Dumbo, you know, Time Out Food Court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's such a natural adjacency. To, to the brand I, 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 I really like kind of almost seeing that physically you know presumably the magazine you know is, is well, was a, uh, a huge brand driver 
you know, visibility that's now on the demise, I think having real estate, you know, putting costs aside and margin aside, having having real estate, um, you know, uh, for, for, for a brand like that is is no bad thing to um, to signal that, you know, they're still relevant and they're, I think they're, it, they're still there. I mean, that side of the business does pretty well. I think for me, what's interesting is the value of um, user-generated... Mm. Um, ratings, I think, is just going through the floor. I mean, it, it, there's just it, it, there's so much kind of false um, false data, false content up there that, that I think there is genuinely a place for local media and for people like Time Out to give mm. opinion and ratings about these sorts of businesses that Google just can't come close to. You know, the, the, it, it, the, you can't really see the wood for the trees when you when you're looking for a restaurant just down the road here. You just mm-hmm. don't believe the ratings anymore. So yeah, well, also you know, going back to identity, you know, Google is all things to all people. Whereas Time Out, I don't. You probably trust a Time Out reader rating more than you would uh, an anonymous Google um, rater. And, yeah, and yeah. so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I think that. Um, and also, UGC is a good business to be in when it's done right because you're not paying for cre- the creation of the content, right? Sure. Um, which but you're also not you're not safeguarding the quality of that content either. I guess that's the that's the flip side. Yes. Yeah. So I'm trying to think what else is on my mind at the moment. So to, actually, well, you talked about 2024 election year. Surely that's going to be a big driver of subscriptions again for the news media, isn't it? Well, it's, it's interesting um, when you go back to, you know, how it played out in 2016. I think that the, you know, and I was at the Wall Street Journal at the time, yeah. um, you know, and we, well, we did, I still remember we, we created our election, election pack, um, you know, to sell, uh, which was kind of almost like uh, less for less, you know, way into to the journal, you know, on a on, on election year, um, and you know, we did a ton of election marketing, and you know that we were trusted on the left and trusted on the right, you know, and trying to appeal to to kind of both both sides. But yeah. really, you know, the the real traction that, that the the journal saw, and, and I think this is true of others that experienced growth around that period. Really, came it came post election, not pre election. You know, the Trump bump was was what came after, not what came before. Um, was there not even a mini bump before? Like just on the lead up to the elections, just with people clamouring for information. I, 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 yes, um, but I remember feeling underwhelmed. Really, um, relative to our our expectations. Interesting. And then I remember feeling a sense of um, you know pleasant surprise when the numbers kind of went through the roof. You know, post. Um, post Trump's inauguration really um, which was when he you know introduced the concept of alternative facts um, via Kellyanne Conway in the first press conference which yeah okay um, a silver which, lining in a very very exactly. very dark cloud yeah god god but, help but, but, us. but to, to your point I think it's um, it's definitely a time for, um, for, for for publishers to kind of stand up and and say you know and 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 a reason for um for for audience and um and, and subscriptions I, I think 
I, don't know, I think of the likes of the Washington Post, right? They're they're known for for politics and policy, you know, and this this is going to play out in their in their backyard. And and so I think for for, for companies like that, for like the New York Times, who you know have a obviously a heavy um, kind of reporting um, um, skew toward toward politics, then I'd I'd be amazed if they don't see you know good come out of. Um, of, of, an, of an election year um, but I think it's you know what I hope is that publishers learn the lessons of of 2016 which is that you know that really the an election subscription transaction is the start of of, of, of the journey not the end yeah. and it's really important some of the principles that we learned when I was at the journal was was how important it was to kind of drive um, drive breadth of, of consumption as early as possible you know when the subscriber kind of you know like onboarding and, and welcome um series because yeah if they you know if you don't and because there is a tendency to go oh well it's an election you came in on on politics um i'm just going to feed you more and more and more and more yeah and then as we saw you know the reuters um who do their, their big um, their big you know, annual study? You know this kind of concept of news fatigue. Really, that was politics fatigue mm-hmm. that, 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 that was kind of hitting. Um, you know the the, the 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 kind of news industry and and I think for those that had done a good job of you know of diversifying consumption, they did well. I think for those that didn't, they would have seen you know, you know the the Trump bump turn mm-hmm. into a Trump slump. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. We did our um, retention report earlier this year, and a big piece of that was the onboarding journey. You know, in terms of preemptive retention, right right from the very start. Yeah, it's um, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's good. I think when reading, I did re- read the report, and I think um, it validated a lot of kind of what we saw in practice. Um, whether it's you know, I think. The, the project that springs to mind was the the Habit project, um, which was a project that uh, kind of commissioned at the Wall Street Journal, where we basically asked the question and said, "Well, um, what are the habits within the digital product that leads to better retention?" You know, X it was actually a hundred days on cool. from the point of kind of habit adoption, uh-huh. and and actually using kind of data science and, and, and modeling. What it allowed us to do was to be really um, focused on, you know, five or six that that we knew that that would drive, you know, a better outcome at the end. Because uh, it's you do have almost an embarrassment of riches of stuff that you could <laughs> tell an individual about that yeah. you'd like them to, to start, yeah. you know, a, a new habit around. Right. And, and, and I think that those practices now are probably more common. Um, in the in in the industry, and but they are kind of tactics that you know I think publishers will need to lean on um, post post election if it's if they're going to you know keep hold of of, of, of subscribers. Um, I think the other the other interesting um, thing to, to think about as as we kind of go into an election year is this kind of idea of commitment, and um, I think you're seeing more and more. Um, publishers kind of getting to that realization that oh monthly subscription plans lead to you know bad churn relative to selling an annual plan right and, uh-huh. and so you you know you're seeing more and more 
you know, this kind of race to the bottom in price on monthly plans, right? You know, I think $26 is the plat de jour in America at the moment. So really? Um, for a year um, on, on a lot of... For a year? Mm-hmm. So 50 cents, a, um, 50 cents a week. My God. And, and I think that's... And what, the journal is what, $45 a month? Well, no, their intro price now um, in sale is um, 50 cents a week, so $26 oh my for Lord. the year that then goes up to, I think, thirty eight ninety nine, And And, and I, I worry for the industry, like, that the, 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 there has been this kind of race, race to, the, to, to the bottom. And because, obviously, companies don't like to put prices up in acquisition, and so you're kind of seeing this flip to, well, just buy annual instead. <laughs> and, you know, there's a 50% discount. Yeah. But, you know... Having you know a hundred dollars in the bank is better than you know four um, in, in in the month. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that that's um, you know the, the kind of the pricing and the commitment dynamic is something that publishers are going to have to have to play with um, you know as they go as they go through the the next year. My, my personal opinion is that um, I, I think that that publishers should probably be more flexible. <laughs> In what they in, in what they offer, um, you know, the, the I don't think anyone's cracked the non-subscription proposition. I.e., you know what, I might just want to pay for two months worth of access yeah. because that's what I'm coming in for. I really care about what you think in the lead up to and the the month after the election. And so, what is that? You know, what is that model for? For, for consumers that don't want auto renew, right? <laughs> they don't they don't want to be they don't want to locked in for a for a year and i i think the the no one's cracked it yet but i think there is some well merit. We, i guess print products cracked it from the very beginning right you buy one edition and they did yeah you, you, yeah you, you're drawn to a front cover you yeah. you pay 20p or 50p and and we've talked about casual payments and micro payments for years now and no one i guess none of us really are buying it right now so but there has to be that equivalent somehow well, here's a here's a thought starter for you there okay so come the, on that evolves i guess out of micropayments which is um pay-as-you-go subscriptions and so you are you are you are a subscriber of x publication yeah i heard about um, this the other day but, but we will only bill you in the months that you're using the product yeah and yeah. so you don't have a churn problem because you never have to leave right <laughs> um, and it's somewhat r- r- radical you know relative to where we are I think as an industry but yeah. I think it does it does recognize and align I think more to a consumer want than a producer need um, but I think if you if you ally that with a friction free payment mechanism whether it's Apple pay or something like that where you don't feel like you're handing over your credit card details but you're just starting a relationship which is as you say it's there's, there's no real commitment yeah i, I mean well, it makes a lot of sense and, and i've i did a little bit of digging into this um and thinking around it and and, and you, you don't have to look too far afield to see where it has been successful in your homegrown market the uk right so sky and now tv you know sky was okay. you know sky sports the only way of accessing sky sports was was via a contract mm-hmm. right an annual an annual contract whereas now you know i can go back i can buy a month pass to via now tv and i can access sky sports just for that month 
and there's a start date and an end date. And if I want more months, I can buy more months, but yeah. I'm not locked into the contract. And I think that suddenly the the the, the barrier of of, of a contract and being locked into something is taken away and I think that you're then going to be you, you suddenly expose yourself to a, a market you know outside of the 10 million households that they signed up to contracts and dishes you're suddenly opening yourself up to a market that that want it but just not all the time yeah, um, yeah. I think there's a lot to be learned Makes a lot from of sense. that model in, for, for, for publishers too um, but you kind of I, I guess you, you've got to really tune into what the customer is saying that they, they want and you know, high churn on monthly subscriptions tells me they don't want <laughs> yeah. to be locked into something, you know, for a for a, a specific period of time. And, and quite frankly, it's quite costly, you know, them having to, and also a, a, a bad customer journey, having to go and cancel, resubscribe, cancel, yeah, resubscribe. It's it's, I wonder who will do it first. We could probably do better. I think which, funnily enough, um, would be a really good... Uh, really good contender for that model, right? Because it's all based on buying events um, which come and go throughout right. the year. So I, I know that they put a lot of value on their, not just their subscribers, but their lapsed subscribers, because their lapsed subscribers are, of course, very definitely potential resubscribers. So you would suspect that someone like Witch would fit that model really nicely. Well, that's, that's interesting, because, you know, to your point, that the, the behavior's already happening, right? Like, there's... Look, look at look at a um, if, you, if you take an you know, ex publisher and you look at their say they do a hundred subscri- new new subscriptions in the week. My guess is that around twenty percent of those will be winbacks or resubscribing. Right. Also, if a fifth of your weekly acquisition volume is coming from people that have gone and come back, and then you look at your churn rates of monthly subscribers where, you know, I think the industry norms are you have, what, 30, 30% left after 12 months? Right. All, all that consumer behaviour is telling you that they don't, they want you, but just they don't, they don't want marriage. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. They, they, they want to date you as opposed to, to <laughs> okay. you know, to... Let's to, not take that analogy, analogy too I'll, far. I'll stop there, yeah. But you get, you get the point. No, it's good. I like it. I think that's a, well, I also think that's a nice point to end on because we've come back full circle. But I think that was a really, you know, no, a really interesting point that we should be, yeah, we should definitely think about more. I'd love to know, as I said, I'd love to know who's going to be the first to try it in media. Let's watch this space, watch eh? Watch this space, yeah. Ah. So we're going to go and have lunch. We're going to have lunch, and we're going to the reward for, the, for this long walk. And uh, we're going to go defrost our defrost our hands and feet. Um, Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Well, right. look, thank you very much. That was awesome. Thanks, Johnny. Cheers. And there you go. Thanks again, Carl. It was great walking and talking with you, as always. And again, as always, if you've got any feedback, please do let me know. If you've got any guests that you'd like me to talk to, just get in touch, give me a shout, and we'll try and work it out. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.